What's up? Brand new week, Lucky Lefty Podcast. I am your guy, Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. Sorry for the delay. Uh, Malik's going to be joining us shortly. Uh, he's taking care of some business out there on the left coast early, early, early. Man, this was a big weekend. We talked about it. Friday, we had on former Notre Dame wide receiver Chris Fink as he joined us to discuss the matchup between the Notre Dame wide receivers and the Oklahoma State wide receivers. And then we got into some fun topics. So go check that out. As always, all of our former, old, older podcasts are archived. Lucky Lefty Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out. Let's get into it. Right into it this morning as we wait for Malik to join us. Big recruiting weekend. Former commits. Uh, all the commits from 2022 except for a couple. I think Jalen Sneed had an honor this weekend. He was named and celebrated and honored as the South Carolina Player of the Year, which is fantastic. And I think there was other one other uh, player that wasn't able to make Eli Raritan was playing basketball. But mostly all the 2022 commits descended upon South Bend this weekend. We got that recruiting news coming up. We'll talk about Marcus Freeman and how his first two practices went at Notre Dame. And then we'll talk about the trip that Devin Moore and C.J. Williams had to other schools this weekend and how that might play into their decision to sign on Wednesday early in the morning. So let's go ahead and get to the weekend. Everything seemed great. As you saw, uh, the linebacker core, they took a picture on this Notre Dame Stadium field. They had the green smoke in the background. Everybody was excited. Family and friends came down. Uh, I did not know this. Um, the mothers <laughs> called themselves the mothers of the 2022 commits called themselves the housewives of South Bend. Then, which is funny. I was like, oh wow, this is this is kind of funny. That's like their whole Twitter mantra, the, the housewives of South Bend. I thought that was really funny. Uh, everything seemed to go very well from all reports. Had some 2023 recruits on campus as well. And everything seemed to be very much a family atmosphere. And they had a great weekend, right? There's no better weekend than to come down, to go to a Notre Dame-Kentucky game, and to get that ending. Like, dude, I told you guys a couple of podcasts before that the Wesley kid is a pro. He's a pro. And I saw when they played Illinois in the losing effort, I'm like, yo, this kid is going to what, – what's in the water in South Bend? Because between Jaden Ivey and Wesley, like the Hoopers they've been producing in the last couple of years, absolute pros, absolute pros. So shout out to Notre Dame basketball. Also have to get a big shout out to Lafonso Ellis, who was honored on Saturday and put into the ring of honor. And then Sunday, the Hall of Famer, Muffet McGraw. She had a decal on the court, which is really cool. A nice little, um, nice little touch to honoring Muffet McGraw, and then Jack Swarbrick at the end said, "Not only will your banner be in the Ring of Honor, but there'll be a statue outside a Purcell as well." And that right there is awesome, well deserved. Muffet McGraw, what she did for that program, what she did for that school. Uh, it's going to be hard. It's big shoes to fill for Nayo Ivy. 
in the Notre Dame women's program. But looking forward to it. They got a great freshman class and looking for Notre Dame being back on top of the women's rankings. If not by the end of the year as they blend, definitely by the start of next year. So getting back to the recruiting weekend, um, let's talk about Devin Moore a little bit. And I want to get to your comments and questions. I see them lining up. Devin Moore for me, 247 pretty much explained his trip this weekend. He was very complimentary of Billy Napier and the Florida program. He was also very complimentary of Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame program. And pretty much uh, Mike Mickens and Marcus Freeman were the guys that he communicated with the most in his recruiting process. But he comes across to me as a kid that ultimately, before he even got to South Bend, became homesick and started to think about being away from home and really was looking for an out. He just comes across to me as a kid that was looking for an out. And as soon as Brian Kelly or the rumors of Brian Kelly came up, he made the decision to decommit. But it was already going on in his mind. And you can just tell. And you can just tell by his comments about Florida. Like Florida at this point, there is no comparison to where Florida is as a program, where Notre Dame is as a program. But Devin Moore continues to try to talk up Florida. And it's like, yo, stop. If you just want to stay home, stay home. Keep it a buck. Like keep it a thou. If you want to stay home, stay home. Make that choice. Go to Florida. But don't try to talk up Florida like, you know, it's equal footing with Notre Dame. You know, the chances, look, more than likely, if you go to Florida, you're going to get on the on the field quicker. If you come to Notre Dame, you're going to have to compete, right? You're going to have to compete against Clarence Lewis. You're going to have to compete against Cam Hart. Heck, you got Philip Riley and, and Barnes and that crew from the 2021 class. You have to compete against them. It's not going to be easy. So homesick, getting on the field quicker. Yeah. Yeah, choose Florida. Like, we would love, I'm sure all of us would love to have, you know, him in the 2022 class. But, you know, if you're feeling like you want to be closer to home and that's what's been floating through your mind, yo, just make the decision to go to Florida. And as I said before, if you go to Florida, they only have two, uh, man, their recruiting class is real slim right now. They only have two defensive backs in the class. One is a safety, one is a cornerback. So more than likely, hey, you're going to get on the field really fast. Probably a little bit before you should be on the field, but nonetheless, it's playing time and they're helping your development. That's what's up. Ty B, thank you for joining in. All the way from the West Coast, let's go. It's 6 a.m. on the West Coast. Your boy ready for LL Nation. All go everything, no doubt. And then C.J. Williams took a trip with about 12 or 13 others, uh, great players from Southern California down to visit USC and Lincoln Riley. Have yet to get a full breakout, a full breakout of his visit. I'm sure that'll be coming later on today. But before he went into it, he was very complimentary of his conversation with Tommy Reese and saying, yo, Tommy Reese, you know, with the offense normally being built about around running backs and tight ends, Tommy Reese, the way he's talking, seems like he's going to open it up a little bit more, get more opportunities to the wide receivers to get involved. So you think about that, that's something you have to look at. 
And, you know, in the preparation for Fiesta Bowl, big news, we'll get to it next, that came out. And thanks for everybody that voted on the LL Nation poll this weekend. We'll get to those uh, results in a few minutes. Uh, but it's very much um, in the offering that Notre Dame could possibly lose Devin Moore and C.J. Williams come Wednesday. I mean, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, Devin Moore, it's a lot more work to do. And I just really believe the kid wants to be at home, closer to home. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in the case of C.J. Williams, I think every L.A. kid, Southern Cal kid, especially going to modern day, which has been a traditional pipeline for USC. Every kid that comes through modern day wants to play from USC from the time they come into that program. And just honestly, just looking at the way things have gone recently with the coaching changes and the state of the program, it was easy to see why CJ Williams said, you know what, Notre Dame is the better choice. So what we're dealing with is two kids, Wayne, playing closer to home and playing at schools that they probably grew up rooting for versus going to a program that's definitely going to be better for them in the long run when you throw in on the field and off the field for their lives. But it's a little distance. I mean, not a little distance. It's a, South Bend is a long way from L.A. and it's definitely a long way from uh, Florida. So, that's what you're dealing with. Two kids just trying to make a decision. Do I go ahead and I go to a program that's better set up to win? Or do I go to a program that makes me feel comfortable because I'm closer to home? And really, this is the program as a kid that I always saw myself going to and playing for. That's the internal battle that we're dealing with for both of those kids right now. So it should be pretty exciting. It should be pretty exciting to see what they do come Wednesday morning. Lucky Lefty Podcast. I'm Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. My guy Malik Zaire should be checking in and shortly. Let's go to some of your comments. Better agencies. Should we be concerned with any of Marcus Freeman's presser answers? He was honest about knowing what to do sometimes. Is that something all coaches think but don't say? Um, you can't. He's going to be an honest dude, right? I mean, I can nitpick any coach and what they say in a press conference. I used to do it all the time with Brian Kelly, and he was a really good coach. But I thought some of the things he said was like, man, what are you saying? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get a lot of coach speak at this point in time. He's very raw, new to the job. His focus is being himself. And I think over time he's going to learn how to really truly deal with the media and maybe not be so transparent for certain things. Uh, matter of fact, you know, let's go ahead and hear from the coach, head coach of Notre Dame. Uh, first of all, let's start off with some really good news. Uh, one of our starters returned to action, not just only getting ready and getting himself back in shape, but also getting to team action in the first two practices. This is your head coach, Marcus Freeman, talking about the return of Blake Fisher. So I, I asked Rob, our trainer, this morning. I'm like, hey, where's Blake Fisher at right now? And he said, hey, we're going to right now probably individual and, and do, you know, as much as he can tolerate. And I look, we're in team, and he's out there. And so um, he was out there getting some team reps. So I don't know if he'll be full go released for the game yet, but 
to see him out there uh, during, during team reps is extremely encouraging. And so it's good to have him out there. That's right, Blake Fisher. And I'm interested to see they really didn't get go in depth at what position he was playing during team. But Joe All has solidified himself at that left tackle situation. I don't know if he's playing at right tackle or if they're throwing him in here right guard and allowing him to compete, allowing him to get some reps. So one of the good things that I did like for Marcus Freeman that came from his press conference is that, yo, this is not a bowl where I'm trying to get reps for freshmen to build towards next year. Like we're trying to win this game. We owe it to the seniors. So that was refreshing to hear, even though they're getting a lot of reps. And they also talked about what things what things changed during practice from Brian Kelly practices and how they started and Marcus Freeman, how he starts practices. This is Marcus Freeman talking about what he calls his openers. Yeah, we call it our opener. And again, it's a competitive situation. Offense versus defense, they don't know what it's going to be. And I want to put the ball down and see our, our guys compete. And if you lose, you're going to have to have a – you're going to run a gasser. And um, it's nothing more than continue to develop that competitive spirit, that mindset that everything in our power is to win. You know, if I got a chance to make a play, I got to make the play. And that's what I try to reiterate to the team today. It's about when your opportunity presents itself, you got to make the play. And, and that's all I'm trying to create during those periods. So – Notre Dame going one-on-one, competing to start practice. Like, I've started practice, or I've been in practice, and, of course, going back to high school, that's the only thing I can pull from. You stretch, you know, you go through some drills, and one-on-ones may become middle of the practice, but it seems like Marcus Freeman is trying to build up, yo, we need to make plays. And that's what you have to do in the big games. It comes down to your players individually making one-on-one plays, whether it's beating a tackle or beating a guard to get to the quarterback, where there's a running back in the hole making a linebacker miss, going ahead and getting that big run, whether it's a receiver beating a DB off the line, a tight end beating the linebacker off the line, safety off the line in space, making a tough catch. That's what's needed in big games and to get Notre Dame over the hump. The ability of their players to make one-on-one one-on-one plays. I don't care if it's a tackle, making a great block on a defensive end, trying to get to his quarterback, whatever it is, that's going to be the key, or one of the keys, shall I say, to Notre Dame taking the next step and winning this game against Oklahoma State and then walking into the horseshoe and getting a big win against Ohio State to start next season and then to go down and beat USC, beat BYU, beat Clemson. And like I said, the over-under, I put it at right about nine wins. I think that's where Vegas is going to settle next year. First of all, because of Marcus Freeman being a new coach and then looking at the schedule, Vegas is probably going to say, yeah, about nine, ten wins because they had Notre Dame at eight and a half this year. And so with a new quarterback, Tyler Buckner, would be his first full year as a starter new head coach, I wouldn't say difficult schedule, but it's a better schedule than it was last year. So, yeah, nine wins, nine and a half wins would be the over-under. And I have Notre Dame basically losing to Ohio State next year. That's it. Every other game, Notre Dame should win. They should win, and they should dominate the teams that they have more talent than. And then you have, what, Stanford coming in. I think Stanford's going to be a much better team next year. 
because there are the young guys, the young skill position guys are really good. And that offensive line won't be as injured at that point in the season. And then you have BYU. That's going to be a tough game because BYU is always tough, physical. They're going to play you hard. The Clemson game, late in the season, by that time, Cade Kulunik would probably be the new quarterback. And then you have Ohio State out the gate. So, yo, it's going to be a tough 2022 schedule. And, you know, moving forward, you're going to need that competitive edge moving forward from this team to be able to win those type of games. Now, this is what the question, I think the question that was just asked, you know, him being honest, this is the difference in head coaching and being a defensive coordinator. And Marcus Freeman talked about this with his big guy, Myron Tagovailoa Amosa, to the right of him as he answered this question. You can't cheer for the defense. Like, you can't want the defense to win every rep. No, I want the offensive guys to have some great reps, you know. And I know Myron might not like it, but <laughs> it's really good. And you just want to see guys playing fast. You want to see guys finishing. And that's what my eyes have been. Hey, are we finishing? Are we running back to the huddle? Are we covering the ball down? Are guys playing physical? Are we playing on our feet? And those are the things that I'm looking at right now. Um, and still figuring out I was a little bit more comfortable today than I was yesterday. I'm sure the next time we're out of practice, I'll be able to, a little bit more comfortable in where I go. Um, but I've got to figure out where I'm going for individual period right now. And the linebackers, aren't they're kind of looking at me weird when I come over there. So i got to figure out where I'm going to go for those periods. That's just funny. He's the defensive coordinator. And the linebackers are looking at him like, yo, what are you doing over here? Because they look at him as a head coach. And they're not used to Brian Kelly probably coming in and watching over them as they go through drills. So that's definitely one of the big issues that I see with that answer that I think you might have been alluding to in that question is him saying he doesn't know where to go. But, yo, he's never been a head coach before. Like, this is something you have to deal with with this type of hire, a guy that has never been a head coach before. He doesn't know what to do with himself in his first two practices. There's no plan for that because he has a natural inclination to go watch the defense. And he said that he's forcing himself to spend more time with the offense because that's what he saw Luke Fickle do when he went to Cincinnati. Luke Fickle forced himself to spend more time with the offense to be able to balance himself because it's real easy for him to spend time with the defense because that's what he's always done. So I want to say shout out for the transparency, shout out to the transparency from Marcus Freeman. I think what he said on Sunday from a um, human, just from a human standpoint, he gave you a sneak peek or gave you a view of just the transition that he's going through. I don't make, I hope, I hope we didn't think this was about to be like a super smooth transition just because he's a player's coach and he's beloved. Like, there's still some things to work out. There's some kinks to work out for him to learn how to be a, a head coach. And he's going to go through some of those things in game and dealing with situations and game situations next year. And he's going to come back the following year. He's going to be a better coach. And he's going to come back the next year. And he's going to be an even better head coach and an even better recruiter. Why? Because he's going to learn. He's going to learn. He said that's why he jumped on the plane and immediately went out and met the offensive recruits 
is because he wanted to get comfortable with sitting down, sitting down with offensive recruits, going out. He hopped on a plane with Tommy right after his press conference. He had a meeting with the team, hopped on a plane with Tommy, and immediately went out and saw offensive recruits. One of those guys was Billy Shrout, who committed on Friday. And then we had another big commit over the weekend that we'll get to. But awesome, just absolutely awesome to see what took place in South Bend this weekend. It was a great environment. As I said, great win over Kentucky for the men's basketball team. It was great to see the recruits up in the suites getting a view of Storm in the court, student Storm in the court, and all of that happening right before these team, these players and these students going to finals. I believe finals are today. If they didn't start late last week, they start today. Notre Dame had two practices over the weekend. Marcus Freeman said the next two days will be strictly for the players, taking care of the finals, taking care of the studies. And then they'll come right back and really start. The next practice will be all about game planning for Oklahoma State. Uh, he also gave an update on Ramon Henderson and his hamstring. Said he's running full speed in drills, but he's not practicing. He's running full speed in, in training and drills, but he's not practicing. And the hamstring should be ready as they move forward and move into more preparation for Oklahoma State and the Fiesta Bowl. Once again, it's the Lucky Lefty Podcast. I am Sean Davis. Malik Zaire hopefully can join us. He's taking care of some things he had to get to early out on the West Coast. If not, also, I'll see if my good buddy Brian Driscoll can come over so we can talk a little more in depth about recruiting and some of the things that happened this weekend. So let's talk about the big recruit that they picked up in the 2023 class on Saturday night. Cornerback Justin Red, Bishop Gorman out of Las Vegas. Bishop Gorman has been very good to know today. Got Ronnie Stanley from there. Pretty good guy, right? And then Alizé Mack who definitely was a decent player at tight end for Notre Dame while he was uh, on the roster. Just a rep to me, can I be honest? Let's keep it, I'm going to keep it a thou. He looks like a field corner to me, right? Very similar to uh, Julian Love, a little bit bigger, but from a skill set standpoint, he reminds me of Julian Love. Uh, 6'1", 180. Ran a 4-4-2, I believe, when he came to campus, and I think that was as a junior. So I expect him to be a little bit more faster, but when I watch his film, if he goes up against a really good receiver in space, he has a hard, he has, he has a hard time stopping on the dime and transitioning. And that, for me, just says a little bit about a little tightness in the hip, just a little bit, a little tightness in the hip. So I don't know if I want him in space, but he can run. So that's why you put him to the boundary because that's going to be fly routes and other quicker throws. I don't have to worry about somebody running by him. I feel like he can run with the receiver and then quick hitches and things like that is something he'll have to work on his transition as he gets into college, his footwork. I think he'll get better because he's a fantastic athlete. You can see it, but you can just see his transition from his back pedal. And let's say if somebody gives him a double move on the release, fakes inside and then runs back out for a quick out. You know, when he puts his foot in the ground, you see him slipping a lot. And then, but when he gets his hand on the receiver, he's very physical. He gets his hand on the receiver, he locks on him, and the receiver has a hard time disengaging from him and getting to his route 
and he can throw the timing off. That's why, to me, right now, he's more of a boundary corner than anything. And he has a lot of talent in front of him. So he's going to have time to develop, time to get better. I'll see what Mike Mickens is able to get him in and work with him and work on his backpedal and work on some of the fundamentals. But a great player. Now, a very intriguing player that we're going to have a cutting room floor coming up in a couple of days with Malik is Christian Gray. Christian Gray, 2023, he's been forecasted by a lot of people as a Notre Dame sign this week for the 2023 class, and he would be a great get. Let me tell you something. Now, if you go watch the film of Christian Gray, explosive, great hips, athletic, great return guy, big-time speed. You see guys with the angle on him, the special teams, and he just blows by them. Then he likes to come up and hit. This kid's like 6'2", around 180, 185. For me, just all around, I fell in love with Christian Gray and his tape. He's out of St. Louis, the St. Louis area. That St. Louis area has produced a lot of great kids lately. So, if you can, man, I, everybody, go watch the film, whether it's Huddle or YouTube, go watch the film, the junior film on Christian Gray. And what you're going to see is a fantastic athlete. And if Notre Dame can get him into the class, watch out. The defensive, the defensive class that they're lining up in 2023, and you start throwing in Peyton Bowen, and they get some other guys at safety, and the guys they're working on out there in the Maryland area, from uh, Archbishop and DeMatha, the Moore kid who's like 13th nationally, they start getting those big guys, defensive ends, 260, 275 to go with Brendan Vernon, Keon Keeley. This, this 2023 Notre Dame class on the defensive side might go down in the history books as the greatest. I'm just going to step out there on the limb. This might go down as the greatest defensive recruiting class of all time. Now, I'm serious about that because I'm looking at the kids. You know the kids that are talked about, right? Because Justin Reg has been getting more buzz than Christian Gray. But then I go turn on the film of Christian Gray, and I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. This kid is fantastic. His transitions, he wants to come up and hit the runner. Man to man, he's locking on, shut down. It's like field, boundary. He's playing everywhere. They're putting him in the slot. He's returning kicks. He's playing wide receiver, making big catches in the corner of the end zone. Just a fantastic athlete. So, as a, man, it's going to be great to see how Marcus Freeman, and because the, the job now is to see, we know Marcus Freeman can fill out the defensive side. Now we have to see, can he go and get a Carnell Tate, right? Which that's pretty much. You know, shout out to Carnell Tate. He's from IMG Academy, but most people don't know he's from Chicago. He's a Chicago kid. So his connection, his love to Notre Dame runs deep. He went to a prominent Catholic school here before he transferred down to IMG Marist in the city of Chicago on the south side. So there's a connection to Notre Dame. There's always been a connection to Notre Dame. And even though Ohio State is in the running and making a big push, Brian Hartline and that staff are really coming after him. The lean is heavy. Most people are saying eventually he's going to choose Notre Dame. So that would be the first great get that could get the dominoes rolling for the offensive side of the ball. And then hopefully you get a Dante Moore. 
that would be the crown jewel on the offensive side. You know, go ahead and start things with Carnell Tate, and then hopefully you get Dante Moore to be the crown jewel of your offensive recruiting for the class of 2023. And if it matches up with that defensive side or it can come anywhere close, man, that 2023 class might be the class that turns everything around. What do we have here? Emma Lady, thank you for chiming in early this morning. Need a, need a certain OSU running back or wide receiver guy to replace Alexander. D coordinator hired, got to be a recruiting superstar. Need to shake things up with some new blood added to our studs. Well, Emma, those things are coming, and I think they're doing the right thing as a staff, keeping the staff in place for the bowl game. Like, you don't need a bunch of moves made, a bunch of new people brought in as you prepare for the bowl game. Once the bowl game is over, then you'll start to see coaches make decisions about where they want to be, whether or not they want to be retained by the staff. Marcus Freeman has been open and he feels comfortable with everybody on the staff. Uh, Jeff Quinn, I don't think, will be around in my personal opinion. Dale Alexander right now is about 50-50 and his comfort level. But Marcus Freeman said he loves everybody on the staff. And if Marcus Freeman can put a light of fire under Dale Alexander and get him to raise the level of teaching the position of wide receiver and recruiting the position. And it's not like Dale has done a bad job recruiting. I mean, we're talking about Carnell Tate. He's the point guy on Carnell Tate. He's about to commit to Notre Dame, as most think. Lorenzo Styles Jr., he got him out of Ohio. He won that battle with Ohio State. If he gets Carnell Tate, he's going to win another battle against Ohio State. So everything we're talking about, as much as you can talk about Dale Alexander, uh, we're talking about the first two practices. The name that's come out of the first two practices is Jay Thomas. He's making plays. That's another kid that he got to Notre Dame, Deion Colsey. Another, look, Dale Alexander has done a fantastic job of recruiting the position of wide receiver. Now, the production and all of that, another guy, Lorenzo Styles Jr., we talked about this. Look for Lorenzo Styles Jr. to have a breakout game in the Fiesta Bowl because from what we hear at the practices, he is putting on a show. He's getting separation from anybody that sticks him in one-on-ones, and that's good to hear. These 15 practices, as we said before, we had Chris Fink on with us on Friday. Go check out that interview. He talked about the wide receivers and their maturation throughout the season from all of the veterans, even down to the youngsters. And the one person he talked about was Lorenzo Styles Jr. He said he always seems to make explosive plays, whether you get them a slant, a crossing route, or a quick bubble pass. This kid is one catch away from taking it the distance every time. So go check that out. It's archived as soon as we're done this morning, Friday's show, where we had former Notre Dame wide receiver Chris Fink talking about the Notre Dame wide receivers and how they develop throughout the season. Let's get to some more of your comments. Michael Parks, Lucky Left Podcast Irish Breakdown. You're the best. Everybody else sucks. Michael, man, thank you for being so gracious with your comments, and we appreciate you. Oh, B Rock Irish, you got some intel for us. All right. Local station here in Southwest Florida, Florida near Naples. Naples is a great place to vacation, man. Been there a couple of times. His interview last night, uh, he said, I believe he's speaking of Devin Moore, 
he may just wait until the official signing day, which is in February, that second Wednesday in February later. If he, the uh, first Wednesday, I'm sorry, in February, still unsure, he said he'll continue to talk to his family. See, this is what I'm talking about, man. Look, he knows the right decision, but he really wants to be at home. He really wants to be close to home. And I don't know what his family situation is. Like, I never knock anyone for just wanting to play close to home. That's why I didn't really have a big issue with Xavier Wumpka and his decision. Like, he wanted to be close to home. He wanted to rep for the state that he grew up in. And the fact that Iowa has traditionally produced defensive backs that go on to the NFL. And I think the last four uh, defensive backs of the year in the Big Ten came from the University of Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. It's either the last three or the last four years. So they had that going for them. When you talk about Devin Moore, as I said before, he just comes across as a kid that was thinking about his decision even for Brian, before Brian Kelly left for LSU. And then thinking about his decision, he just came to the point where it was like, man, I just really want to play at home. I really always saw myself playing for the University of Florida, you know, playing for one of the Florida schools. And at this point in time, all the Florida schools were really struggling. Florida was struggling. Florida State was struggling. Miami was struggling. So it just made more sense to go ahead and commit to Notre Dame, a program that was trending upwards. But then, you know, you start to see, you know, the tea leaves. You know, they're going to be new, a new coach at Florida. You knew that was coming. You knew possibly there would be a new coach at the University of Miami. And you say, man, maybe I need to wait and see what happens. And, you know, you start hearing the rumors about him wanting to commit. And it's really not a knock against Notre Dame. It's just Notre Dame was like the better option. And it really wasn't what his heart always wanted to do from the jump. And now he's making a decision. Do I go with my heart and stay home? Or do I go to the place that really makes the most sense? <laughs> just for my entire life, Notre Dame makes more sense going to any other place so do i follow my heart and i get on the field quick and i get more reps or do i go and compete at notre dame become a better player and like you said four for 40. and that's that's a difficult decision for anybody so if he's going back and forth young man make the best decision for you make the best decisions for you because i'm telling you now notre dame is not the place you come to when you're unsure because that first year is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So you have to be 100 when you come to Notre Dame because it's a special place. And I want you to be, you know, in a place where you succeed. I think we all want to want everybody, all of these kids that are about to commit on Wednesday, we want them to all go to places where they feel like they're going to succeed and they feel the most comfortable. And then, you know, the best to you. R.Y., what's good with it? Jaden Thomas was looking good in the highlights yesterday. Any word on where he stands when it comes to depth chart and playing time? Uh, depth chart-wise with the injuries, uh, Jaden Thomas is really just a play away, and he's going to get some tick. He's going to get some tick uh, in the bowl game. I would probably say five to seven plays right now. And let's say, God forbid, someone twists an ankle or something like that, Jaden Thomas is right there in the rotation. Like, he's right there on the cusp of the rotation. He's in the same position that uh, Deion Cozy 
and Lorenzo Styles Jr. were, were when Joe Wilkins and Avery Davis went down. Like they were right there waiting to get their opportunity. Joe Wilkins goes down, they jump in, they get more reps. It's the same thing. And we don't want it to happen for injury. Like I said, he's going to get some plays. He's probably going to get five, five to ten plays in a Fiesta Bowl. And whether he's targeted or not, you know, that's up to Jack Cohn and the particular play that's called. But if somebody during the game does happen to twist an ankle or something like that and have to go out for a couple of plays, he's right in there. He's right at the top of the rotation. Michael Parks, appreciate you, man. I love the hat myself. Uh, let's get to some more comments because I got a question for you guys. I want you to go ahead and talk about or get to the poll. The LL Nation poll this weekend was as Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton simultaneously announced that they will be foregoing um, the eligibility and moving on to pursue their dreams in the NFL to prepare for the NFL draft. Uh, I asked fans on the poll, one, like, is your response thank you and much success? Is your response thank you, but uh, I don't get why you're not playing in the bowl game? And the last but not least, the other option, the third option was, man, I just don't get it at all. And so if you followed us all season long, once Kyle Hamilton got hurt, we were very transparent and open and just said, like, yo, there's no reason for him to ever play again. Like, times are different. Times are different. We all remember the last time there was a, you know, bowl game matchup with a top five player, Jalen Smith, on the Notre Dame roster. We know what happened. We know what happened in the bowl game. And, yo, I totally understand what Kyle Hamilton and his family you know, what their mindset is and his agent. Uh, I still believe Kyle Hamilton, you know, if you watch him on his own podcast in the garage and if you just watch him at the Marcus Freeman press conference, you can just tell, man, he felt the energy of what was happening with the Marcus Freeman hire, just being there with his guys, and being a part of the decision-making, sitting in a room with Jack Swarbrick when Jack was vetting Marcus Freeman and wanted to hear from the captains what their thoughts were about the next head coach and, and, you know, the characteristics that they wanted in the next head coach. With all of that being said, it was easy to see that, man, he was battling. And if Kyle Hamilton, if Kyle Hamilton could just go out there and play with his guys and have 100% assurance that he's not going to get injured, he would play. If it was just like him going out in the lot with his guys and just playing pickup, he would play. But when you start bringing in financial considerations and worrying about your career and giving thought to everything and what could be lost, there's no way Kyle Hamilton should ever suit up for Notre Dame again. Like, no way. And the only time that he would even consider is if they had made it into the college football playoff. I think he truly would have considered then playing in that semifinal on December 31st. As for Kyron Williams, I understand. And I think this is where most of the angst, where 25% of the voters, and thank you for everyone that voted, 25% of the voters said, yo, we understand, but we don't quite get not playing in the bowl game. 
Kyron Williams right now on the Mel Kuyper uh, big board is ranked as the fourth overall running back, which slots him probably around the third round somewhere, maybe late second. I would say late second going down to early fourth is where he slotted to be drafted. And that's about normal for most running backs, unless you're just like Ezekiel Elliott that's had back-to-back monster seasons and monster games against Alabama in the semifinals and Oregon in the national championship game. When you have that type of resume, then you jump up into the first round. Or you got like Najee Harris coming off, you know, big games in the national championship game. I mean, he had a big game against Clemson in 18 when they lost, you know, as a freshman in a national championship game. So when you have that type of resume, then you jump up. I truly believe the offensive line probably hurt Kyron Williams this year, even though he did eclipse 1,000 yards. Um, the struggles of the offensive line definitely kind of tampered or a damper, put a damper on the season that Kyron Williams was supposed to have and more than likely should have had as he went to the NFL. But if scouts do their job and they watch the film, they'll see the speed, they'll see the patience, They'll see the vision. They'll see the versatility. They'll see the hands. They'll just see the playmaking ability that Kyron Williams has. And some team more than likely is going to jump up probably late in that second round and say, you know what? Let's go get this kid because he's going to make plays. So, you know, I don't have a problem with him sitting out. I just don't, you know, because this kid has been, he's physical. He runs physically. He delivers the blow, and he's taking a few blows. And off and on this year, he's dealt with a lot of nicks and nacks. He's fought through injuries all year just to be out there because he's the bell cow, and he's the one that the offense has been built around for the last two years. And he knew how important it is it was for him to be on the field for this offense, and he just couldn't take a game off, especially early on in the season. So now that the young guys have developed, Logan Diggs, Audrey Estime, Marcus Freeman talked about estimate just laying the wood to people in the first practice and putting a hurting to the linebackers and safeties and defensive backs. So that was really good to hear that uh, Aldrich estimate stood out to Marcus Freeman in practices. And then you got Chris Tyree as a starter. I think a lot of people forget about Chris Tyree. Like we're so excited about Logan Diggs and Aldrich estimate that we forget like, yo, Chris Tyree is the, that's, that's the home run guy. That's the guy every time he touches the ball can take it 80 in about seven seconds. So, well, it's a lot to be excited about when it comes to the Notre Dame backfield. And Marcus Freeman said, you know, there's only one Kyron Williams, and he's absolutely correct. You cannot replace Kyron Williams. But collectively, they can replace his production. That I do believe. Collectively, 150 yards is what you should be able to see from this Notre Dame rushing offense. For me, that's the bottom line. I need 150 in the Fiesta Bowl. And then from there, if they want to get 200, 250, by all means, go ahead, put on the show in the Fiesta Bowl. But I need 150 from the collection of Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, and Audrey Estime on January the 1st. Thank you for joining the Lefty Lucky, uh, Lucky Lefty Podcast. I'm Sean Davis. I'm running solo. Malik has some other business to tend to today. He'll be back tomorrow. And um, I'm trying, maybe my guy Brian Driscoll will jump on 
We'll see. Maris Lufau, that's right. I'll get to this. Eugene Williams, great comment. Saw Maris Lufau practicing the other day. Wonder if he's suiting up for the Fiesta Bowl. He will not be suiting up for the Fiesta Bowl. He will not be playing, but it was good to see him out there. Marcus Freeman uh, made mention of that as well. And uh, just seeing him recover, uh, man, it was like in August. It was a season-ending injury to see that he's rehabbed and gotten the boot off and back moving around and being productive and uh, getting reps, right, because he didn't get to play in the season. These practices are good for him, setting him up for the spring. You know, really good for him, setting him up for the spring. So I'm happy that he was – yeah, it was in August. So, you know, getting him back and getting him reps, that's what's up. Anthony Manzano. Hi, Lucky. What's good with it? Hope you had a great weekend. Without Hamilton, Williams is going to make the victory that much sweeter in the future. Yes, and Marcus Freeman, because there were reports, and I want to make sure everybody's clear on this, there were reports that came out right after they made their announcements that they will not be with the team at the Fiesta Bowl, and they won't be around the team. And they were at the Kentucky-Notre Dame game together. On Saturday, Marcus Freeman was very clear. Once you make the decision to go pro, you are a former player at Notre Dame. However, um, however, as a former player, you're always welcome at the game. So he left that decision up to them, whether or not they want to be at the game on the sideline at the Fiesta Bowl. He said they're more than welcome. And as far as the other things, he also let let them know that they never uh, consulted him about the decision. They both came to him individually and said, our mind was already made up even before you became a head coach. And this is what we're deciding. And this is what we're going to do. And we're moving forward with our dreams to prepare uh, for the NFL. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Dario Jones, what's up? I'm excited to see Chris Tyree get more work. Explosive runner who's been taken for granted. I, You know what? I agree. I think some fans have kind of just relegated him to being like a special teams guy, especially after the big uh, kickoff return against Wisconsin. And they forgot once he got injured. Like, yo, he made so many explosive plays last year in the backfield, and he's the type of guy that I feel like has been minimized and not used enough in the passing game. and. It's so easy to fall in love with Kyron Williams, right? When you have a Kyron Williams, it's easy to just say, like, yeah, let that guy stay in there every play. But now the creativity and the distribution of carries and plays is going to be very interesting, right? Because you have a hammer and all you estimate. So now the struggles in the red zone, I want to see if he can kind of solve some of those struggles in the red zone. Like, let that hammer get down there and be an A.J. Dillon type. And just, man, carry the pile, push the pile, and bring more efficiency to the red zone, especially inside the tent. Logan Diggs, just like, I'm glad, I'm so glad he got an opportunity to spend a season with Kyron Williams because he reminds me of Kyron Williams, but then he has a little bit of Tari and Folsom in him where he's shifty. He's big, too. He has like a Najee Harris body type, tall guy. He's like big strong but he's athletic like he's hurtling guys down the sideline has some speed i think he's gonna get faster you know even next year 
and going into his third year because I don't think he's going to be here more than three years, honestly, because I think he's I think he's a pro. I really think he's a pro or running back. And I did not like hearing he dropped a couple of passes in practices. But he recovered and made some plays in one-on-one. So need those hands to be good and ready for the Fiesta Bowl because we're going to need them outside, out of the backfield in the passing game as well, uh, especially as a check now uh, for Jack Cohn and or Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine, you know, however the game goes. Yeah, but I'm excited to see him too, Dario. I'm definitely excited to see him. D-Rock Iris, let's resurrect the T-formation. Tyree Diggs estimate, at least in the red zone. Well, if you remember the T-formation, especially with Lou Holtz, it was always a defensive back that would get, like, Lou Holtz used wide receivers and, like, defensive backs in that T-formation a lot. Jeff Burris got a lot of touchdowns from that T-formation. So, uh, you know, you might want to see all the running backs, but, I mean, if Marcus Freeman does it like Coach Holtz used to do, and you might see uh, Xavier Watts carrying the ball, uh, JoJo Johnson or somebody like that who has a background of being a running back but has been moved over to the defensive backfield. That would be cool, though. That would be cool to see a T formation, all three of those guys in the bowl game. Got another comment from Eugene Williams. I may have missed it, but did we discuss the special teams coach bouncing the LSU? Seems like the boy said he was a real Kelly man. Um, we're talking about Brian Poling, and we did talk about that on Friday's show because it had already gotten out that he would be joining Brian, uh, Brian Kelly at LSU. We talked about it Friday with Chris Fink. Brian Poling more than likely would be missed because the special teams unit um, has been underwhelming under Brian Poling, in my opinion. That's just my personal opinion. Special teams, which was always one of the best units, you know, nationally. Going back to Lou Holtz, under Brian Polian and Brian Kelly has been underwhelming. You know, every now and then, you know, you get a big play. Um, they have been good at blocking punts. At least they were the previous two seasons. But before that, you know, we there hadn't been a kickoff return, I think, since the home game against Michigan State and George Atkinson, if I'm not mistaken. I think Chris Tyree was before Chris Tyree, George Atkinson was the last kickoff return for a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. So, and the coverage teams actually got better this year. I've given credit. The coverage team has been a lot better this year. Uh, I was always wondered why there wasn't more speed on the coverage teams. You always see a lot of linebackers on Notre Dame coverage teams. And, uh, it's always youngsters, right? That's the way youngsters get their reps. When you see teams like Alabama, they have their best players on coverage teams. Like safeties, cornerbacks, like guys that are going first and second round. Like they're on special teams. And that's how your special teams is top notch. You put your best players out there. So we'll see if there's a change in philosophy. Uh, Nick Lazinski uh, sat with Brian Polian before he left, and he's going to be uh, coaching. Um, special teams up for the bowl game. And Marcus Freeman said that they're going to keep <clears throat> the same approach and teach the way it's been taught this year. And uh, hopefully Chris Tyree can break one. 
or someone else because Kyra's not there. So now who's going to return punts? That for me, I don't want to see Salerno back there returning punts. It's like I don't want the safe guy. I don't want the guy back there that's just you're just sure he's not going to fumble the ball. So put him back there because he's going to catch it. And 90% of the time, he's going to call a fair catch. No, no, no. We need a playmaker. Like, if you're going to be a top-notch program, you're going to get over that hump, you need a playmaker in special teams, whether it's kick return or punt return. You need somebody that's going to be able to break and make big plays. You have to have that. So, man, before we get to it, it was a great weekend for music, right? Let me know. I want to know the best concert you've ever been to. Right. Rolling Loud was this weekend in California. And I have to say, from the videos that I saw, Future brought out Kanye, uh, J. Cole set. You had Playboy Cardi, Chris Brown. Like, yo, the list goes on and on. I believe Chief Keith came out, did some stuff. Shout out Chicago. What was the best concert you've ever been to? Because I've never been to like the, these big festivals. I've never been to these big festivals. And Chicago has a lot of music festivals over the summer. We really do. Chicago is a great place to come to in the summertime. You know, if you just, like Lollapalooza is something that everybody knows about. Everybody knows about Lala. Everybody from all around the world, they come in for Lollapalooza. But then we have some other, you know, smaller music festivals throughout the summer that are dedicated mostly to like, you know, particular niche genres and not really as diverse as Lollapalooza, what has every genre on multiple stages for three days. And um, so, yeah, if you want to have, like, a great summer, just come to Chicago for the months of July and August, and you can stay here and just hit music festivals every weekend, neighborhood festivals with different types of food. There's no better place in the summertime. I'm going to preface that. No better place in the summertime than Chicago. Now, once it gets cold, like it is now, like I understand wanting to go to a warmer climate, but there's no better place for music. So let me know in the comments, what's your best, um, what's your best concert you've ever been to? I'm a small venue guy. Like I like intimate settings. So I'll tell you about the best concert that I've been to or the most infamous concert I've been to in a few minutes. Uh, let's see. He has taken a lot of heat this year, but I hope Kane Madden last game was his best game. Does he have it in him? That's why I'm very interested in learning where, where what position Blake Fisher has really been taking reps at. Right? Because, you know, I know Marcus Freeman said this game isn't about next year, but where Blake Fisher takes those reps is definitely about next year. Like, he might get some reps in the bowl game, but you're trying to see – where he's going to work next year because the left side is for stopping and all. And I, I, a lot of people, and I kind of agree because if you really believe from a size and athleticism standpoint, if Blake Fisher does remind people of Quentin Nelson, then go ahead and put him right next to all and allow that left side to be dominant. Move Christophic to right guard. And then Jared Patterson, who's also number two center on Mel Kuyper's big board, but he said he's really thinking about it. He said he's really thinking about it and giving it thought, and there's a strong pull on him to want to come back and finish the job. And uh, we'll see if he does that. But um, 
Kane Madden has been this is the most Kane Madden has been mentioned on this podcast in a long time. I just I, I agree with you. I agree with you. He's taking a lot of heat. I hope his last game is his best game. I, I totally agree with you. I got Caesar from out there on the left coast. Good morning, LL World. It's early over here in LA. Connected and listening to you guys. Wish both of you the best, or both players the best, Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton. I would prefer seeing them playing one more game with the team. Selfishly, we all would. Selfishly, we all would. Heck yeah. I want to see them cats play one more time. Like, please, just take the field one more time. Matter of fact, Kyle can play like one half, and I would be good. Like, literally, if Kyle Hamilton played, if Kyle Hamilton and Kyron played one half and just kind of like walked off, after the first drive, I got pulled off with a, like a standing ovation by the Notre Dame fans that are in attendance in the third quarter. I would be cool. I will be cool. Just like, yo, appreciate you. It's kind of like anticlimactic with Kyle Hamilton because we never, man, he hasn't played for like six games. And for Kyron, it, like, it hurts. It hurts the fan base because he's been that dude. He's been the representation of Notre Dame football in the face of Notre Dame football. Boy, I would it's safe to say Cal Hamilton has been the best player probably on the team, but Kyron has been the face of Notre Dame football. If you disagree, let me know. But that 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 just popped in my head. I think Cal Hamilton is the best player on the team, but Kyron Williams has been the face of Notre Dame football, especially for the last two seasons. Bob Busby, thank you for joining us this morning. Kyron has taken an absolute beating all season long. Early on when the O-line was dreadful, it was double-fold. I think Kyron earned the choice to sit out and declare. I couldn't disagree with you more, Bob. We've been right there, definitely with Kyle Hamilton. And uh, when uh, Kyron made his decision this weekend, I was right there where you exist with your comments and your opinion. <laughs> D-Rock Iris, you're right. Too much hand-waving. Like, come on, man, this is Notre Dame. All of this hand-waving on, like, pump returns? Stop. Stop it. We got to do a better job. We got to get some playmakers to put them in position to make plays and give us field position and make it easier for the offense so the offense doesn't have to go on these long drives, nine, ten plays, 80 yards, 75 yards. No, give us a short field. So we can score in like a minute, minute and a half, you know. That's what we need. That's what we need. Once again, don't forget, best concert you've ever been to. Best concert. I need to see in the comments. Best concert you've ever been to. Um, do you know if there are any candidates for the coaching for the uh, special teams? As I said, Niklasinski is going to take over. He spoke with Brian Polian before he left, and he's going to handle special teams. I don't know if that's going to be permanent. Uh, Marcus Freeman has been very open that he's really not going to deal with uh, coaching vacancies and changes on the staff until after the bowl game, and he'll start to work with that. So we'll, we'll – uh, Eugene Williams, once again, beat Lindsey, kickoff punt return. <sighs> you know what? Braden started off early on punt return and kick return. I wonder if Jaden Thomas gets a shot too. I'll look for Jaden Thomas maybe getting a shot at punt return. 
as one of the guys. I think he was in the running uh, early on in the season, but he was a freshman. And with Brian Kelly, it's always a trust issue. And with him, heck, he had, you know, Brian Kelly had Ben Skoranek back returning punts strictly because he could trust them not to fumble the ball. It's like, come on, man. You got a Jalen Waddle back there, Jalen Waddle type. You got to live and die with some of the mistakes. They're going to catch the ball inside the team when they shouldn't. Why? Because they feel like they can make a big play. And making a big play, they might fumble the ball. Jalen Waddle fumbled the ball, I think, three times his sophomore year, returning kicks. And Nick Saban never went away from him. Why? Because he's special. You have to give him the opportunity to change the game for you. And you have to have, as a coach, you have to be like that. You have to be able to instill faith in players and say, okay, you made a mistake, but we need you. You're the best guy for the job. We're rocking with you. And then you get the benefits like Alabama got the benefits of Jalen Waddle, you know, over his career. So that's what you want to see moving forward. Have faith in the guys that are the playmakers on your team and put them back there and live with their mistakes. Live with their mistakes and teach them and teach them and give them opportunity until they get it right and they give you the game-changing plays and the big games that you need. Like when you start beating teams like Ohio State, Alabama, it's going to be you're going to need special teams to chip in and make some type of play at some point. So, yeah, improvement in special teams for Notre Dame needs to take place, has to take place. All right. What play is currently in transfer portal? Do you think makes sense for Notre Dame? It's not Bo Nix. I can tell you that. I don't want to hear anything about Bo Nix coming. I do see that Sark was able to snatch up uh, Quinn Ewers, the transfer from uh, Ohio State, over the weekend. Makes sense. You know, he's a legend down there in Texas. And makes sense once the coaching change happened and he saw the way the quarterbacks were playing in Texas. You know. It's the right move for him. Right move for him. Big NIL move. Like, if he was getting an NIL money at Ohio State, you already know Quinn is about to hit it big down in Texas. Like, his NIL money is about to go through the roof, you know, going back to uh, the University of Texas under Sark. And I think Sark is really going to coach him up, and I think he's going to be a really good player. I don't know if he's going to hit the ground running, like, next year and just take off, but – you know, middle of the season, late season, going into the follow-up season in 2023. Yeah, I would look for Quinn Ewers to be uh, definitely preseason Heisman, uh, a preseason Heisman candidate. And as far as players we can think about, um, I don't know, man. It just depends how it falls, right? Maybe another O-lineman just to add depth because, as you said before, we're going to lose some players. There are some players on this team that are going to transfer out. They're going to transfer out. Uh, I can see maybe an offensive lineman, uh, depending upon Kevin Austin Jr.'s decision and Braden Lindsey's decision. I can see a wide receiver possibly. Uh, that front seven, I don't see anything in that front seven on the defense side of the ball. Maybe a DB for depth's sake. And that's about it. Uh, maybe a veteran quarterback, not as far as expecting him to play, but just to have a third guy, you know, so you don't have to depend on your freshman to be that third guy, get another veteran voice in there, you know, to kind of aid and assist Tyler Buckner. 
something like that. All right, Eugene Williams said it. Hard Night Life Tour, 90-something, Forever Classic. Yo, yo, so you, that's like the, uh, Jay-Z always talked about the tour where DMX was crying and would come out with his shirt off and then he would be praying at the end. That's a dope concert. That is a dope concert. Don't forget, Rolling Loud was pretty dope this weekend. Um, favorite concert that you went to? Favorite concert you went to? Get at me in the comments. I said, Caesar, the Pest Mode concerts, top quality. Caesar, I agree with you about special teams not being good during the Kelly years. Let's hope there's a change in philosophy. Absolutely, my man. I went to see last concert. The last concert of Slayer at the Forum. It was awesome. Yo, that's dope. At the Forum, too? Okay. I always wondered, like, groups like Slayer have to be in a big venue, right? I don't, you have to see a group like that in a big venue. You just have to. Just because of the vibe, the show is more conducive to a big venue. You know, I don't know if they have the versatility to kind of like calm it down. I think you would get the best. Uh, we see Depeche Mode, Omar Austin checking in, Jay-Z Hard Night Life Tour with Red Man, Method Man, and DMX. Uh, DBZ, what's up, girl? I, I'm going to get that information for you, too. I'll, I'll hit you up a little bit later today. What happened to the Taste of Chicago? It still exists. In a minor form, man, the Taste of Chicago was <laughs> uh, the best food festival I've ever been to. Um, it exists in a minor form, like around the 4th of July. It's not the same. They don't have the same amount of vendors. I think things just got out of hand. Uh, they used to have the hot, the... Uh, Big concert on July 3rd and then the fireworks. And, you know, with the rise in violence in Chicago, you know, it was just difficult for them to continue doing it on a big scale. So they kind of scaled it back. Vendors were leaving because of things that were happening. And, you know, it just kind of faded away. But they recently brought it back on a smaller scale. And it still exists right there in Grant Park. And they still have the big concerts. Uh, the days leading up to the fourth, which would be the second and the third. And I believe Shaka Khan was the headliner this year. Shaka Khan was the headliner this year, along with uh, De La Soul. De La Soul and Shaka Khan. So I don't know. Next year, well, DBZ, anytime you're in the city, hit me up. Anytime you're in the city, hit me up. Eugene Williams side, no back in the day to taste Chicago used to be the jump off of summertime, no doubt. No doubt. Driving from South Bend to Chicago for the weekend was nothing. Good times. Yeah, man, the taste of Chicago was for, all, for everybody growing up. It was like you go down there, get you about 20 tickets, get your turkey leg, get you some corn on the cob, and maybe have enough left for a slice of pizza. And, um, yeah, just see all the beautiful people. I'll just leave it at that. See all of the beautiful people because there, there, there was plenty of beautiful people walking up and down uh, Grant Park. 
for that week. Because it was a two-week festival. That's the crazy thing. Not two full weeks. I think it was like 10 days. So it would be one full week and then the three days leading up to the fourth. And it would end like the day after the fourth. It was crazy. Like people would literally not barbecue and go to the Taste of Chicago for the 4th of July. It was like literally like barbecue. Man, grills were being put up. Like we're just going to the fourth. We're going to the Taste for the fourth. So absolutely. Okay, Alex B. You think Alt, Rocco, Patterson, Fisher, Baker. Okay. All right. I can rock with that. I can rock with that. I can also rock with Alt, Fisher, Patterson, Rocco, Baker. But either way, I like that for next year. How the offensive line will, you know, line up. Heading into the horseshoe. I would actually like that. Jules Mean. I once saw Chicago in Chicago on the pier. On the pier? Word? On the pier. You're talking about Navy Pier. I want to make sure I hear this correctly. You're talking about Navy Pier or the pier that they have uh, where Meg's Field used to be. Because Now that's where a lot of uh, country concerts take place. Like right over there by Soldier Field where Meg's Field used to be. They have a nice venue over there. That they uh, refer to it as a pier as well, but if you saw them, if you should, if you saw Chicago at Navy Pier, yeah, that's definitely memorable. Definitely memorable. Michael Parks, Prince, nineteen eighty eight, Love Sexy tour at the Rosemont Horizon. Okay, Mike, you, you just dated yourself. The fact you were you, you referred to it as the Rosemont and not All State Arena, my God, <laughs> my God. Uh, let's see. I see BBZ and Eugene still reminiscing about the case of Chicago. Yeah, it was lit. It was lit. Alan Krentz said three dog night. Okay. We get to a few more of your comments and then I'll let you guys go. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for hanging in with, with me. I'm solo dolo today. I appreciate you guys. For your comments, Alex B. Eminem and Jay-Z home and home tour. Slim is the best live performer I've ever seen. Three iceberg slim. Three hours straight nonstop. Man, that's a nice tease Is because I'm going to give you mine on the way out. Summer jams. Summer jams were the best, right? Like the Miller Lite Summer Fest. They used to be at Soldier Field back in the day. And the Summerfest used to travel all around to all the big arenas and big stadiums. I don't know how many of you guys remember that, the Summerfest. That used to be dope. But Raheem Pelham says Summer Jam in 2000s was classic. All right. Oh, Jay, this is a good one. You know what? You're right. Lorenzo Styles at Punt Return. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I can see that because he's really good when once he gets the ball in his hands, a lot of speed. I can rock with that. Keegan McLaughlin. McLaughlin. So I hope I said it correctly because I know it's, people say it two different ways. BK and BP are control free because you know what, man? The guy, did you guys see the uh, video of Brian Kelly and, uh, the video he did with uh, 
Walker Howard, the quarterback, I guess, that committed to LSU this weekend. Come on, man. Brian Kelly's doing the most down there at LSU. He's doing the most. I'm like, come on, fam, really? That's what we're doing? We're recruits now? You were just dead man walking with recruits at Notre Dame. Now you get to LSU and you dancing with cats, doing the 360 thing. Oh, man. Chris uh, Chris Broden, honestly, see Ramstein live. Even if you've never heard a single song from them, I have. Because as a producer for ESPN, we do this segment each and every night at 6.50 called Song of the Night. And it's a very, very diverse. Um, what we pick is usually has his historical significance. So I believe, for example, last week, it was the uh, anniversary of John Lennon um, being murdered, being assassinated. So we played the uh, clip of Howard Cosell when he broke into Monday Night Football. Uh, classic the way he ended that, man dead on arrival like man dude Howard Corsell is one of the best yo like <laughs> that's the one thing as a kid always stuck out to me from him breaking in during that game just him saying dead on arrival the way he spaced it out the way he said it the emphasis he put on it yeah it was chilling it just kind of like brought chills to you and I guess it, it kind of raised like the importance of what he was just saying. Like he was letting you know as a listener, don't don't forget about this. Like I know the game is going on right now, but like, yo, this is bigger than the game this moment. So so for that, we went and we played Beatles. We played a Beatles song. So, you know, we're hot, you know, hip hop. We did next um too close one night recently. That was, man, like, I think that was 10 years ago. That was, like, the number one song for a long time during the summer. And it crossed over. And uh, it still gets the party going. If you throw next, too close on, everybody's up on the dance floor, right? And every dude knows, you know, the words of those, <laughs> the words of that song ring true to most every guy that's ever been in high school, been to a high school dance or been to a party in college all right thanks for checking in chris steve williams shine down asking alexandria and papa roach i'm a huge papa roach fan that's what's up steve shine down one of the best bands i've ever seen live it was a blast hey let me know what venue you saw them at what was the venue uh let's see that was julius jewels i'm sorry saying the concert was like a business thing okay be busy. Yeah, that video was a trip. Like, he's doing the most right now. He's doing the most. He's doing the most. Uh, I'll get you up here, Cole Kramer. Yeah, we did. That We all saw it. Um, your man is doing the most. Your man is doing the most. Um, Alan? What about the two new recruits ND picked up this weekend? Billy Schroff, and he's talking about, uh, yes, I talked about uh, Billy Schroff on Friday. Uh, talked about Billy Schroff on Friday, uh, Friday show with Chris Fink and Malik Zaire. 
And then earlier on the show today, I did get into Justin Rett and um, my, my thoughts on him. You know, just quick to reiterate, I think he's a, a very talented guy, a physical defensive back. I worry about his hips just a little bit, his transition. And um, I'm sure Mike Mickens would get him in and work on that. But he's a field corner to me because he's physical and he can run. So put him in the field, let him be physical with wide receivers, and most wide receivers won't be able to run past him. So I think that's where you're going to see him. Uh, and the, <laughs> I don't know what I said, Michael Parks, but, hey, I'm just saying, probably what Brian Kelly's doing the most, dude. He's doing the most. Steve Jones, no problem. What, what you got for me? Not to change the subject, I sense and what I observed through Marcus Freeman's press yesterday, and maybe others might see it, I think he needs to be more assertive as a head coach. Assertive? I need you to go, I need you to give me an example, because I don't think being assertive is an issue. Him being assertive? And I'm, what are we, are we nitpicking? Like, this dude has been a head coach for two practices. Like, uh, yeah, I need you to, Steve, do me a favor. Just give me a little bit more feedback because I want to answer your question correctly. And I, I don't want to come at it from, you know, one side or what I think you're trying to say. Like, explain to me or give me give to me an example of one thing he said that makes you feel like he needs to be assertive. And then I can give you a really, really good answer. Now, I will say this, DBZ. Um, I have people up there they say Notre Dame is I mean they're in the fight they're in the fight uh, Tommy Reese is going to be the guy Tommy Reese is going to be the guy this is going to show who Tommy Reese is as a recruiter this is his thing and let's put up a shut up if Tommy Reese can pull off you know you know getting him out of uh, the state of Michigan and the only thing that I think can really manifest is how Notre Dame comes out offensively next year, right? And it goes back to what C.J. Williams said in his conversation with Tommy Reese during the in-home visit. Tommy Reese made it seem like that he's going to open up the offense a little bit more and get more targets for wide receivers. And that doesn't mean necessarily throwing the ball down the field 20 times. It could literally mean like more bubble screens, more quick slants, you know, just more crossing routes, just getting the ball into your playmaker's hands more, more consistently and in a more efficient way. And if Tommy Reese indeed is doing that, that bodes well for a guy like Dante Moore that plays in that type of offense, a spread offense, three wide, four wide, getting the ball out of his hands rather than him watching Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan offense built around the running game. And Josh Gaddis, who won the um, uh, coordinator of the year, I think he's done an incredible job with his play calling this year uh, for Michigan. But if you look at the two offenses, and this is where Tommy Reese is going to have to put up a shut up as a coordinator and as a recruiter. Like he's going to have to show recruits and show quarterbacks, this is what I can do for you on the field. And then he's going to have to be a great recruiter and communicator off the field. And if he does that, they have a fighting chance for Dante Moore.
a really good fighting chance for Dante Moore. David Flores says, up and smoke tour. That's a tour I'm upset I missed with Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop, Ice Cube, and Warren G. I didn't get a chance to go that to go there. I wish I did. Steve Williams, Fort Wayne Coliseum. Okay, that's where you saw them? Oh, that's dope. And was never worried about Notre Dame and running back Miss K-Dub, but we need to unleash the rest of the backs. Notre Dame has talent, man. That's why we fight against this narrative that Notre Dame doesn't have talent. That's a bunch of bull. Notre Dame has talent. They continually put talent in the NFL, the top five in NFL talent annually. So we know what it is. Carter Depper, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad there is no dark cloud over the program anymore. Kelly, blue skies and sunshine with Freeman. Go Iris. Let's start 2022 with a W. And I'm trying to hang around because I really wanted Steve. I'll put it back up there. Steve Jones said, hey, Sean, not to change the subject. I sense and what I observed through Marcus Freeman's presser yesterday and maybe others might see it. I think he needs to be more assertive as head coach. Well, honestly, I think he's trying to figure out how he wants to be a head coach. So um, I think it's unfair, and I'm not going to judge how he manages practices two practices in. I'm just not. Like, he's trying to figure out how he wants to do things, what's more comfortable. He might have a mindset or a game plan going into the practice and realize, you know what, I don't want to do this. And if that comes across as not being assertive, I get it. But I think at this point to kind of like put a label after two practices, it's kind of like I wouldn't do that to anybody. And I'm not just saying that because it's Marcus Freeman. I just wouldn't do that to anybody. So as we get ready to close, guys, I have to share this with you, right? So. We had Chris Fink and Marcus Freeman on, and we showed video of offensive tackle recruit Emil Wagner putting back a tip dunk at 6'7", 275. I think he's like 275, 280 right now. And uh, <laughs> I asked the guys during that time in Notre Dame who was the best hooper on the Notre Dame football team. And without question, they both immediately said Mike McGlinchey, which was like a shock to me. I'm like, Mike McGlinchey? And then we went and did the research. Mike McGlinchey had like basketball offers from like Penn State, Boston College, and big-time programs on the East Coast. And so then I see this video that goes viral, and it's uh, 2022 recruit Eli Raritan. Ugh, look at that. Sets the pick. Stairs, let's go. Okay, Eli, I see you. His boys raising a roof, pumping them up. Then he comes back. Next play down the court, rebound, nasty. Okay, 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 okay. I see you, Eli. That's what we're getting that tight end. We're getting that type of talent, that type of dog. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So, um, Wagner maybe has the possibility to be a DM, but he could be a stud tackle. As athletic as he is with his feet, he could be a stud tackle. 
And DBZ, you're right. With the depth we have to tackle over the next two years, uh, Billy Shroud might even get a shot at tackle. Yo, we might be able to move him to the other side of the ball. That's why you go out and you just get athletes. Man, you just recruit guys that can play, and you deal with that issue, that problem, once you get them on, on the field. You know, that's what we're seeing with Xavier Watts and um, Xavier Watts. And oh, what's my guy's name? I'm drawing a blank. You guys, you know my, my favorite player. That's replacing Kyle Hamilton at safety. That's what we're getting with the two young guys at safety, right? Both of them, um, one comes in as cornerback, the other one comes in at a totally different position. They switch them over for offense. Marcus Freeman said they tried Xavier Watts at Rover first. Then they just said, you know what, let's try him back there at safety. And uh, there you go. He's making plays. Ramon Henderson, yes. Man. I'm tripping. I just talked about him at the beginning of the podcast. Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts. Those two guys are guys that came in totally different situations, totally, totally different positions. And this is what I love about Marcus Freeman, right? He's going to get the best guys on the field. And see, that's why you need these one-on-ones. And a lot of players said they, they did, really didn't do that under Brian Kelly. That's what I love about this competition, because competition shows you the dogs that you got in your program. When you get one-on-ones, competition, you start to see the dogs. You start to see the ones that really want it. And then if they don't fit a certain position that you recruited them for, then you it's your job as a coach to find a way to get them on the field. And that's what I love about Marcus Freeman. He didn't just sit back and say, oh, okay, oh, Xavier Watts, man, you know what? You're not using him over there? Let's bring him over here. I think I can use him. Let's try him at Rover. He's, he's a big guy, and he loves to tackle. Let's try him at Rover. Uh, he's a little bit too close to the line of scrimmage. Let's throw him back a little bit, try him at safety. Next thing you know against Navy, he's running the lanes, you know, keeping a perimeter. Yo, and forcing everything back inside, coming up, making big hits, stopping running backs. That's fantastic. Then you get Ramon Henderson. He comes up in the Virginia game. Man, he said we need length. We lost Kyle Hamilton, so now we need speed and length and range. Guess who gives it to you? Ramon Henderson. And myself and Malik told you, Ramon Henderson was one of our best, one of our favorite players all season long. The kid was always in position. He was raw, very raw, but he was always in position and didn't know how to really make a play on the ball. But making a play on the ball when the ball is in front of you and making a play on the ball when you're running with a a wide receiver, that's two totally different things, right? He just didn't have the skill set to be a defensive back, and especially to be in a slot where you have to really be a specialist to go up against the best route runner. Like usually the guys in the slot at wide receiver are the best route runners on the team. So to throw him in there and to make him, you know, defend the guys that are the best route runners and he really didn't have the true skill set as a defensive back, yeah, wasn't the best way for him to get started. But now with the ball in front of him and his eyes and his range, he can trust his skill set and his speed and his range and his length. He's definitely in the best position. So that's what I love about Marcus Freeman. He looks like he has the ability to be able to analyze, see who the dogs are, see their talent and say, we need to find a way to get them on the field. I love that. And that helps out your recruiting because then when you're recruiting, you don't have to necessarily recruit to a position 
per se. You can just see great talent and say, I need to get that guy. They're a playmaker. He's a difference maker. He's a gap closer. We need to get that guy in the program, and he'll make a difference. All right? Yeah, Connor, you're right. He knows the talent to be put in the best positions to succeed. That was another problem Kelly had. Yeah, so with everything I know, everyone's looking at Marcus Freeman, you know, and taking him saying he didn't know where to be and he's spending more time and he didn't know where to go and team drills and all of that. It's a new experience. It's a new experience. I don't care. As long as they come out and they're not flat January 1st, and they come out and they win the game, and we go into the horseshoe. And also Tyler Buckner, that's something else. Tyler Buckner looks really good. For some reason now, his ball looks much better than it's looked all season for some reason. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Just a little intel from this weekend. The best concert I've ever been to is I get ready to close. I'm a huge Jay-Z fan. So Jay-Z had the best of both worlds tour with another artist. You know, and I'm not going to name an artist because I don't know how anybody out there feels about what has taken place. And I don't want to offend anybody. But he had the best of both worlds tour with another artist. And I went to Madison Square Garden. I actually went to the very first show at Rosemont. Uh, It was All-State Arena. Um, Saw the first show. So it was like a thing. It was like a week and a half later. I flew out to see the show in MSG, and this is the infamous show. Halfway through the concert, the other artist claims that somebody in the audience flashed a gun at him. Said he wouldn't come back out and perform. Artist leaves, goes to Hot ninety seven, hops on the radio. Says, you know, somebody flashed a gun at him in the audience. Says he was attacked in the back by the entourage of Jay-Z. You know, it's an infamous radio interview. You can YouTube it if you want to hear it. So I'm hearing this interview actually headed back to the hotel after the concert. This is why I turned into the greatest concert. Jay-Z comes out the back, apologizes, explains what explains what is going on. And then it says, I need you to give me 15 minutes. I'm going to do something special for you all. This is Jay-Z in the garden. He goes on to bring out T.I. Mary J. Blige came out and did a set. Janet Jackson was there. She came out. Beyonce was there. She came out. Usher was there. Now, you have to realize, Confessions had just dropped. Like, I think Caught Up was the single that was popping at that time. But Confessions had just dropped. So this is like peak Usher. Usher comes out. Little John comes out. I know I'm missing somebody. Timberland came out. Literally, like, at that time, it might have been the top 10, 10 artists on the charts came out diddy came out and did a set it, the greatest concert i've ever been to greatest concert i've ever been to i didn't know i was that's what i was walking in there to get but it turned out you know thanks to jay-z it turned out to literally be 
the best concert I've ever been to in that arena in in, uh, Madison Square Garden. So historical. That's dope. That's dope. And the greatest uh, small venue I've been to, House of Blues, 1995, uh, 1994, House of Blues, Biggie Smalls. Second for me. I got him at the House of Blues like right before he passed away here in Chicago. That was, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that one. That was dope. So we'll be back tomorrow. Malik has a cutter room floor coming up for Christian Gray, 2023 offer, and soon, more than likely soon to be commit on Wednesday, uh, Christian Gray, defensive back out of the St. Louis area. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. And uh, Brian Driscoll is going to join us on Wednesday. We do know that. We have a special guest uh, coming in on Wednesday as well to talk about a couple of uh, the guys that are going to be committing or have already committed on Wednesday for the early signing period. So Wednesday is going to be a big, big show. But tomorrow we'll have Malik back in the saddle right here for you guys. I'll get, oh, I don't want to leave you out. Um, a smaller venue that felt huge for me was Ghostface Killer and Raekwon. Then Meth and Red was there too in D.C. at the place called the 930 Club. Death was the most memorable. Eugene, the 930 Club, if I'm not mistaken, where is that at? Is that right off 6th or 7th in D.C.? Because I was in D.C. for NBA. D.C. is a dope spot. Man, that's a dope spot to party. Dope spot to party. If you ever just want to spend a weekend in the spot and just go enjoy yourself and party with good vibes, good music, you know, listen to Go-Go, hit up a Go-Go club, get some good food, man, D.C. is a good spot. D.C. is a fantastic spot. On 7, yeah, 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 yeah. Georgia Ave, yep, yep. I knew exactly where you were talking about. I've been there. I've been there. All right, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, Don't forget, subscribe, share, like, subscribe, share, like, let everybody know. Yeah, people are asleep on the go-go. Absolutely, absolutely, that's good music. So subscribe, share, like, man, let everybody know. Lucky Left Podcast, follow the YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lucky Lefty Pod. And uh, get at us, man, get at us. We'll have another poll up later today. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time for another episode of Lucky Lefty Podcast. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Spin it different today and go Irish.